This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Avoid Probate with Jason Laidler. Heard every Sunday at 8 a.m. on Zoomer Radio. Welcome to the program with a unique focus on helping Canadians avoid probate. The one thing everyone should know about probate is that it's not inevitable. With some planning and good advice, you can avoid the exhausting, expensive and time-consuming probate process and have your affairs settled quickly and privately. Speaking of good advice, here are your hosts of Avoid Probate. Good morning, Zoomers. Welcome to the Avoid Probate Show on this beautiful Sunday morning. I'm Jason Layler here with the world-famous Ted Walshin. We're glad you're here with us. Hope you're ready, comfy, got your coffee and tea because, you know, it's always a busy show. This is going to be one of those shows uh, that's jam-packed with um, detailed information. So hopefully... We're all going to learn something today. How are you today, Ted? Cooler than I was uh, a day ago. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You you look cooler. Well, you know what it is? It's my air conditioning died on me yesterday. The other day, I should say. Nasty. It was nasty. It was, it was, yeah, because it, it wasn't, it, it wasn't even that heat. It was just that, that stickiness. I know. I can't stand it. Well, you, well, you were sitting there in your shorts and you're watching TV. I can't stand right? it. And then, then you, you lift your arm to go grab a, like a cold drink yep. and your hand, your arm is stuck to your leg. Did you sleep so in the sticky. basement? I didn't. I didn't. I would have. I, I didn't sleep. I just kind of, I would nap for like 40 minutes and then wake up. And, uh, I can't, I can't handle that. I've got a, I've got a split bungalow. Uh, up in beautiful downtown Parfala, where I live, and my home office is in the basement. And I'm not kidding; I have to put a coat on. Really? Which is, I love it. I love it until yeah. I go upstairs. Yeah. Then I don't love it so much anymore. Well, I didn't. I'm, I fortunately I have. Uh, I've, I've been dealing with this company, Atomic Heating, for years, and my family has well, they're heating, air conditioning people, and they actually showed up last night at like eight thirty to check on on the furnace. And or the air conditioning, and it needs to be replaced. At least the engine, the fan, well, the fan motor needs to be replaced. Is it old? Is it time? No, it's not that old, really. It's only like fifteen years old. The air conditioning. Oh, that's old enough, I think. Is it? I mean, they don't last forever, right? No, nothing does anymore. All right. But uh, so by the time I get home, it'll be nice and cool. Now that the air conditioning's fixed, you can email us anytime you want, and you can do so. Would you like me to give out some addresses? Yeah, I might as well. All before right. Before we go to the first break. All right. Info at avoidprobate.ca. That's info at avoidprobate.ca. Or you can call toll-free during the week. It's 1-844-667-7628. 1-844-667-7628. And Jason will get back to you with the answer to your questions. In fact, we have one Coming up in a moment from now as we continue with the Avoid Probate Show. Right here on Zoom Radio, AM 740. Learn more about avoiding probate at avoidprobate.ca or call 1-844-667-7628. Back with more Avoid Probate after this. 
Good afternoon, friends. We are gathered here to remember. Insert your name. And we're heartbroken because. Insert your name. Did not avoid probate, so the loved ones of. Insert your name. Have to wait a long time for what rightfully is theirs. I see I've made you cry. Recent changes in law make probate slower, more complicated, and more expensive. Don't make it harder for your loved ones. Avoid probate.ca. This is Avoid Probate on Zoomer Radio with Jason Laidler of avoidprobate.ca. Okay, welcome back, Zoomers, to the Avoid Probate show. Jason Laidler here with Ted Walshin. Thank you for joining us. If you've just joined us, um, we're here on a weekly basis to enlighten and inform you, and I hope you're uh, joining in on a weekly basis to be enlightened, enlightened and informed. This week's show, uh, I'm, I'm going to do one of, more, one of those deeper dives, uh, a little heavy on the technical side of things, but you know, hopefully uh, you, you get something out of it. That's why we're here, of course. I'm, I'm going to read from an article that I've got here called, um, it's called Courts Could Save Invalid Wills If Ontario Bill Passes. This is an article that was in the Investment Executive, written by Rudy Mazetta, and it's referring to um, Bill 245. Well, let me just dive in here. Uh, most Canadian provinces already grant this power to the courts, but some estate experts argue changing the law could lead to unintended consequences. Estate practitioners are applauding an Ontario government proposal to provide courts with the power to save wills that might otherwise be found invalid due to technical errors, a point that already exists in the majority of Canadian jurisdictions. Sorry, a power, a power that already exists in the majority of Canadian jurisdictions. When a will is deemed invalid, estate property is distributed according to the intestacy rules found in a province's estate act rather than as the deceased may have intended. So, intestacy rules. Uh, let's talk about what they look like in Ontario. And I got some information from a webpage uh, from the Office of the Public Guardian and Trustee. I'm going to skip the part about uh, how the estate is distributed with a will, because that's not an intestacy case. And I'm going to jump down here to how an estate is distributed without without a will. Uh, first of all, though, just to, to set it up, uh, how an estate in a state is distributed depends on whether or not the person who died left a valid will. An estate in someone's property, an estate is someone's property, possessions, and other personal items. A will is a legal document that says who will inherit the estate after someone dies. Okay, when a person dies without a valid will, called intestate, Ontario's Succession Law Reform Act sets out how the estate is distributed. That's uh, the S. S-L-R-A for short, the Succession Law Reform Act. Easy for you to say. According to the Act, unless someone who is financially dependent on the deceased person makes a claim, the first $350,000 is given to the deceased person's spouse if he or she has decided to claim their entitlement. The rule is, unless you're a disabled person, there's special rules for disabled people, the spouse... uh, can 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 receive the first $350,000 of the value of the state. That's called the preferential share. And that was changed recently, and it was upgraded from $200,000. So it's now $350,000 is the preferential share. Anything over $350,000 is shared between the spouse and the descendants. 
i.e. the children or grandchildren, according to specific rules. So here we go. Here's the list. Here's the test. If there's no spouse, the deceased person's children will inherit the estate. If any of them have died, that child's descendants will inherit their share. If there's no spouse or children or grandchildren, the deceased person's parents are next on the list. Mm -hmm. After that, if there are no surviving parents, which can be quite common, the deceased person's brothers and sisters are next in the pecking order. If any of the brothers and sisters have died, their children inherit their share. Okay, now we're getting to the nitty-gritty. If there are no surviving brothers and sisters, the deceased person's nieces and nephews inherit the estate when, when do I get money? Uh, well, we're getting to that. <laughs> Is that after everybody's gone through the family, then it goes we're to We're almost dad. there. Yeah, we're almost All there. Right. When only more distant relatives survive, uh, Ted Walsh claims to be one of them, <laughs> the rules are complex and he needs to speak to a lawyer. If, if any heir, this is interesting, if any heir was alive when his or her, her relative died, but died before the estate was distributed, that person's own heirs are entitled to their share. I wanted to get to that bottom line because I want to make the point, probate in Ontario could take over a year right. to finish. And it's entirely possible that while... You're you're a, you're a beneficiary of this estate, and while you're waiting for the probate process to be completed, your time is up, so you never get your inheritance. Right. So so, so this the point that they're making here in the in the SLRA is that uh, if you pass away before the estate is distributed, then your heirs are entitled to that share. Uh, another point I want to make: when a person dies without a will, only blood relatives including children born outside of the marriage or legally adopted children mm -hmm. can inherit. With regards to step-relatives, half-blood relatives is the term they use, half-blood relatives, do they count? Yes, they do. They share equally with whole-blood relatives. Those aren't my words. Those are the words in, in the document. And that sounds like the beginning of most soap opera stories. <laughs> yeah, well, it can create soap opera stories, uh, as we know. And some of them can uh, be in the courts for a long time and cost a lot of money in legal fees. Mm -hmm. If one of your relatives died without a will in Ontario, a relative was probably appointed to be the estate trustee. You may have to prove your relationship to the deceased person by showing the estate trustee documents like birth certificate, marriage, death certificates, uh, providing one or more sworn statements. You won't know how much of the estate you'll get until the trustee identifies everyone who's entitled to inherit. We've talked about this before. I'm going to say that one more time. You won't know how much of the estate you'll get until the trustee identifies everyone who's entitled to inherit. This talks about the duty of the executor and how onerous it can be. Beneficiaries must be notified that they're a beneficiary because they have legal recourse. And I talk to people all the time on the phone who will say to me, oh yeah, my sister's the beneficiary for my mom's estate and I don't have a clue what's going on because she won't tell us anything. And we're really frustrated and we there's recourse there. And that's why if you are a beneficiary of the estate, you are entitled by law to, to be told, to be notified that that's the case because then you can hold the executor to account. And examples of that, we should have painted the house before selling it, we would have got more money. Right. Or you're sitting on it too long and it's costing us money to carry it and, you know, it's affecting my 
my share of, of right. mine. But, so it goes both ways. I mean, there could be criticisms of how the executor's acting or not acting. But I just wanted to make the listeners understand that it's a legit recourse uh, for beneficiaries. So that was one little tangent uh, from this article called Courts Could Save Invalid Wills If Ontario Bill Passes, which did pass, by the way. The bill received royal assent back in April. So it's a done deal. So carrying on with this uh, article, in, in all provinces except Ontario, Newfoundland, and Labrador, the courts have a mechanism to save an otherwise invalid will and declare it valid. The eight provinces operate under what's known as a substantial compliance regime. Those are the words I wanted to get to, substantial compliance. Court validation of a will can cure injustices where clearly what the person wanted to do with their estate was known and was obvious, says this practitioner. Um, Currently, Ontario operates as a strict compliance not substantial compliance, but a strict compliance jurisdiction. A will must comply with required formalities to be considered valid. For example, a will must be signed by the testator in the presence of at least two witnesses who also must sign the will. There are separate requirements for holograph wills. We're going to talk about that in a minute. In general, courts in Ontario can't validate a non-compliant will. And the one example, Ontario's proposed amendment... Uh, which is now law, it's not proposed anymore, would transform the situation into a substantial compliance province. And a perfect case uh, for substantial compliance would be where the signature of one witness is missing, says this uh, practitioner. Um, So long as there is convincing evidence that both witnesses were present when the testator signed and the failure to sign as a witness was an oversight, the court could and should validate the will. So I hope you understand that's that's you know the court bringing leniency and some forgiveness into the equation and not having your wishes thrown out because you didn't dot this i across this t even if the wishes are made clear and it's controversial and we'll talk about maybe some of that controversy I want to get back to the holograph wills but uh before we do that I think we'll take a break All right, and we'll come back and we'll continue with Avoid Probate right here on Zoom Radio, AM 740. Learn more about avoiding probate at avoidprobate.ca or call 1-844-667-7628. Back with more Avoid Probate after this. My name is Marilyn, and I avoided probate. Our story begins when Marilyn paid a visit to her mom's bank. She noticed something odd. She had 100% of her money tied up in GICs, making 1%. It wasn't enough to sustain her. She was dipping into her capital big time. Marilyn wanted to disperse the money for her mom's needs as she ages. She had acquired power of attorney. No, you can't do anything with her accounts. They're in her name. And that was that. I was overwhelmed by everything. I didn't know what to do. That's when Jason from avoidprobate.ca stepped in. There was a sense of urgency because Marilyn's mother is no spring chicken. This process takes time. And I didn't know how much time we had. He walked me through what I should do when I went to the bank, what I should say to them. Not only that, Jason went with Marilyn to the bank. They weren't happy that I was sitting across the table from them in the office and they knew that we were trying to move this money. But I knew that we had a right to do that and that it was the right thing to do. Persistence paid off and we got the transfer done in time. 
So many seniors have these GICs at the bank. They will be probated. They will be frozen. They're paying next to nothing. And they're locked in with maturity dates. It drives me crazy. I don't understand why anybody buys these things. There are much better options out there. And sometimes we can do this transfer at no cost to the account holder. Should you get in touch with avoidprobate.ca? Anybody who has non-registered accounts at the bank needs to look into the services we provide at avoidprobate.ca because by definition, you can't put a beneficiary on a non-registered account at the bank. You can put a beneficiary on a non-registered account at an insurance company. The rules are different. I felt that the banks thought I was a thief, but Jason made me feel so much better. I know we've done the right thing. Call us at avoidprobate.ca on the toll-free number, but call us before your mom or dad passes away. That's when we can help you. Have the conversation with your parents and avoid probate like Marilyn did with avoidprobate.ca. Call 1-844-667-7628. This is Avoid Probate on Zuma Radio with Jason Laidler of avoidprobate.ca. Welcome back, Zoomers, to the Avoid Probate Show. I'm Jason Laidler here with Ted Walsh, and we're giving you lots to think about on this Sunday morning. Um, yeah, we're not done yet. I talked about, mentioned holograph wills before the break. So this is this comes up on a regular basis. I'll, I'll just jump right into this uh, article that talks about um, holograph wills. In Ontario, a will that is wholly handwritten by a testator is called a holograph will. Holograph wills are exempt from the statutory requirement that a will be witnessed by at least two people who each subscribe the will in the presence of the testator. The requirements of a valid holograph will are set out in Section 6 of the SLRA, which states that a testator may make a valid will wholly by his or her own handwriting and signature without formality and without the presence, attestation, or signature of a witness. An essential aspect of a holograph will is that it to be wholly in the testator's own handwriting. Partially handwritten wills, such as a fill-in-the-blank form, do not meet the requirements of a holograph will. So that's interesting. Yes, exactly. And that's talking about those kits you can buy from yeah. Staples mm-hmm. or online, things like that. So it can't be a combination. Right? It's either it's either all or nothing. But you could always take that package, for example, yeah. that you're talking about from Staples, use their words and in your handwriting, say I of free mind and will and et cetera. Yep. And I guess. without without filling out any of their paperwork, just use their words. I guess. But, of course, we have to stress that unless you're dealing with a very, very simple situation and, you know, simple is uh, subjective, you probably should be talking to a lawyer to get your will done, right? right. Yep. But, I agree. But, but it doesn't – it's not necessary. And this goes on to say that whether or not such a document will be admitted into probate will depend – on the court's ability to sever the handwritten portions from the written portions so that they themselves form a complete expression of the testator's wishes. The signature of the testator will also play a key role in creating a valid holograph will. The signature must be at the end of the document, and this will give effect to any disposition that comes before the signature. Anything that follows the signature will not take effect. As well, any disposition or discretion inserted after the signature was made will not take effect. So those are some of the rules about uh, requirements for the holograph will. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that it is legit, and there's some famous examples and stories about how it's 
played a role in settling some estates. Here's an example. Um, this was a case involving CIBC Trust and Horn back in 2008. This case involved handwritten alterations to a typewritten and properly executed will and codicil. The alterations were neither signed nor dated and therefore did not meet the requirements of the SLRA. The court addressed the question of whether it had discretion to dispense with the formal requirements under the SLRA where there is clear evidence of testamentary intention. The court held that in contrast to other jurisdictions, Ontario courts have no such discretion. The court held that the handwritten alterations were therefore not valid and further that they did not constitute a valid holograph codicil. Okay, so this was 2008. I'm going to just read that again. The Ontario courts, it was deemed that they have no such discretion. Well, we talked earlier about how that is no longer the case. Now the courts have what's called the substantial compliance test. So that's interesting. You know, in this case back in 2008, would the court decision have been the same or not? Uh, To conclude the article here, the area of holograph wills is rife with acrimonious family disputes, as you can imagine, and protracted litigation. Uh, in in some of these court matters, um, the litigation lasted over six years with legal fees in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. While holograph wills can be a quick and inexpensive option, it is evident that there are numerous issues that may affect their validity. As with any legal document, it is always prudent to obtain legal advice about the manner in which a holograph will must be made and the potential issues that may arise. Well, we've talked about uh, court battles before with regard to joint ownership. We didn't get to talk about that today, but generally it's something I discourage. Uh, we'll get there again because it pops up regularly in mailbag items. So that, that was tangent number two um, stemming from this article, Courts Could Save Invalid Wills If Ontario Bill Passes. Uh, I just want to pick up where we left off there. We're not going to get through the whole article today, but this um, lawyer writes in and says that the proposed change, which we now know is is effective, allows the court to consider on a case-by-case basis whether something should be a valid will or not. It's certainly welcome. I think I mentioned that this is controversial. Um, Other practitioners believe that it could lead to more litigation, uh, currently, because the formal requirements to execute a valid will in Ontario are clear and binding, in this practitioner's opinion, it is ill-advised to attempt to probate a will that does not satisfy those specific requirements. The formalities required are there to protect the wishes of the testator and should not be discarded lightly. As an example, uh, they referred to another decision from 2019 where Hubshi Estate in Hubshi Estate, a document was found on the deceased computer stating only, quote, get a will made out at some point, a five-way assets split for remaining brother and sisters, Greg, Annette, or Trevor as executor. That's all that was found on the computer. Um, get a will made out at some point, a five-way assets split for remaining brother and sisters, Greg, Annette, or Trevor as executor. While the document did not meet the requirements of, of a valid will, Clearly, it's, uh, it's very uh, coded. The Supreme Court of BC found it could be saved. It is difficult to see uh, that this notion reflects a final intention with respect to the distribution of the individual's estate. 
Again, um, this is how justice can be done through the substantial compliance test. If the court had found that the document was not a will, the deceased's estate would have gone to his birth family, with whom he had no relationship, as per intestacy laws. However, by finding the document could be saved, the deceased's estate went to his siblings from his foster family, as outlined in the document. Okay, well, we didn't get quite through the document. I didn't think we would, but there's some real-life interesting scenarios for you. And speaking of real-life scenarios, it's uh, time for the mailbag. We're going to go to a break here, and when we come back, Ted, I think it's uh, your favorite part of the show. It is my favorite part of the show. Stay with us, please. We'll be right back. Learn more about avoiding probate at avoidprobate.ca or call 1-844-667-7628. Back with more Avoid Probate after this. This is Avoid Probate on Zoomer Radio with Jason Laidler of avoidprobate.ca. Okay, time to go to our favorite place on this Sunday morning, and that is Tom's Place, 190 Baldwin in the heart of Kensington Market, for the finest in men's fashions. You know, Tom, I was, I was reading a piece in the, in the Wall Street Journal about men's fashion, and you yourself know, as, as a men's clothier, that the sale of men's ties has not been what it once was. But they're saying now that they believe that there's a chance that those the tie sales will increase because as a recent um, survey done by a university in the States pointed out that women really admire a man wearing a tie because it reeks of success in class and, and all those things. So if women like the way you look in a tie, you'll be wearing a tie. Um, uh, Ted, you are so right. I've been saying it for years. A man with no tie doesn't have that much class. I, I understand and I know that people don't want to wear as much tie lately as they have done in the past. But if you want to look classy, if you want to look at your best, you've got to have a tie. Tie's been around since the 16th century, and they're not going away. That's nonsense. Ties are back and ties will, will always be around. It's part of our history. It's That's part right. of our culture. That's right. So if you're only going to have a limited amount, make sure that you go and you pick out the best-looking tie with the best price. And, of course, Tom's Place is where you get that. And now, when you go shopping at Tom's, make sure that you tell them that you heard uh, you heard us talking about Tom on uh, on our program here, Avoid Probate, which is in Ted, and Tom will give you a further discount, and especially on ties. Right, Tom? 100%. I'm behind it. 100%. Okay, bud. All the best to you. Tom's Place, 190 Baldwin to the head of heart of Kensington Markets. Tom's Place will suit you. Jason Laidler is the president and founder of Avoid Probate, and he sits across from me in a studio. You can forward your questions or your comments to Jason, during the course of the week, you can call toll-free 1-844-667-7628. 1-844-667-7628. Or you can email him at info at avoidprobate.ca. That's info at avoidprobate, avoidprobate, one word, dot C-A, with your questions and comments. And we have a... Uh, Email, an email from someone with a, something a little different. An interesting observation, something and we appreciate little, it. Yeah. Before we get there, though, I just want to um, remind the listeners with the uh, weekly boring disclaimer that the information provided in this program is for general consumption only and is not intended to provide particular legal or investment advice because, as we know, every situation is different. And so if you have legal or investment questions, you should speak with a licensed expert, or, of course, you can contact me at the information that Ted was kind enough to just provide. First item in the mailbag today. So, you, you know, 
hey, Ted, we're all we're all human here, right? Yep. And so what does that mean? It means, of course, we all make mistakes. And I'm, I'm actually proud to say that... Uh, that you made a mistake? Well, I did make a mistake. <clears throat> and, of course, it was an honest mistake because we're striving to provide the most accurate information here possible. Mm-hmm. I, I've actually caught myself uh, making a couple of mistakes after the fact when I said, like, I said... Um, Joint owner when I meant to say beneficiary or vice versa, but those were little, those were minor mistakes. I didn't worry about it. Yeah. But this one because it's um it's kind of material. I'm gonna say it was a couple of weeks ago that I was talking about Canada savings bonds, and I don't want to name uh, the listener, but somebody, one of our very smart listeners, wrote in to correct me on something I said about the Canada savings bonds, and I'm glad. He did, and I'm just going to read a little bit of, of the email. It says, I listen to your show every Sunday morning on Zoomer Radio and just wanted to let you know how informative I find it. However, on your August 1st, okay, there you go, on your August 1st um, show with regards to Canada savings bonds, you mentioned to, quote, get rid of them. They've all expired, <laughs> not increasing in any value at all, not earning any more interest. This is not the case if one purchased the Series 78 10-year Canada Savings Bond in 2011, as this bond matures on November 1, 2021, and will accrue uh, interest. And the same, and he also goes on to say the same applies to individuals who purchased uh, step-up Ontario Savings Bonds, but that's a provincial matter, and I wasn't commenting on the provincial matter. But, <clears throat> okay. but, but with regard to the Canada, the federal savings bond, he's absolutely correct. My mistake, I thought they had all expired. They will have all expired by the end of this year. Uh, close on my part, but no cigar. So, listeners, I mean, if you ever hear something that you want to challenge or you think is not quite accurate, please don't hesitate to write in or call because, again, we're obviously uh, endeavoring to provide the most accurate information we can for your benefit. Much appreciated. Yeah, h- hands up. Uh, my bad. Uh, it won't happen again. Well, I'd like to think it won't happen. It won't happen again anytime soon. Let's say that. What would be the, the return rate on the Canada savings bond from 10 years ago? I should have looked that up. Um, I mean, I did look up validity of this uh, correction and to, to make sure that he was right after all. It didn't show me, I didn't go deep enough to find the rates. I'm going to guess, though, 10 years ago, interest rates were still crazy low 10 years ago. So because you hold these things for like seven years and they're like step up in interest, maybe five mm-hmm. to answer your question. Maybe, I don't know uh, if anybody wants to write in and, and tell us what the rate is. I still, uh, I still don't like them. And and the point that I was that I was trying to make before about a lot of them um, ceasing to pay interest, the coupons on a lot of them have expired. Remember, the, to this to this listener's point, this is the end of it all. This year, the end of this year, they're done. And some people have had these things for decades, even if, the five year. Yeah, well, they forget it. They put it in the safety deposit box. Granny puts it in the safety deposit box when she gets it twenty years ago. Yeah, and it's a five year bond or whatever. And uh, you know, five years was over a long right. time ago. Right. Um, so my point, I, you know, the point is still valid. You need to check these things to make sure they're still living, they're still active, and and then. But after this year, it's 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 over. But the, the other comment that the same the same listener in the same email, he had a question about the strategy that we're providing as a solution to the probate problem here. And I'm going to read. Um, the email goes on to say, other than uh, the above oversight, the the main message I get from listening to your show each week can best be summed up as follows. If one has funds other than an RSP or a TFSA at a financial institution, they should be transferred to a life insurance company where one or more beneficiaries can be named in order to avoid probate at the time of one's death. Right? Question mark. 
yes, absolutely. I couldn't have said it better. Uh, I try to say it every week, but but that's the story. In fact, you know, he specifies the RSP and the TFSA. Again, that's not the the worst of the concern because you can name beneficiaries on these plans. These are registered plans. Those are types of registered plan. A registered plan, you know, the simplest definition I can give is something with a name on it. Um, the non-registered money that doesn't have a name on it, it's just cash at the bank invested in something. That's the bigger concern. That's the bigger problem because you cannot put a beneficiary on those monies at the bank. And that's where we want to do a no-cost transfer over to the insurance company, add beneficiaries where there were none, and now that money will avoid probate. So, yeah, uh, this listener had had it right, had the, had the right idea. I just wanted to make that clarification. Okay. Right. And we should point out as well that in, in addition to all the information that you've given them there, is the fact that when someone contacts you either via email or via the toll-free number, uh, the consultation is free. Yep. And any work that you do for um, following that consultation, which is the transfer of funds, is also free. Yes. You know, I should share with the listeners uh, something, uh, a part of my practice that I've been doing probably for 15 years or more. When I sit down with clients, or I should say potential clients for the for the first time, it's a little awkward sometimes because we're meeting each other face-to-face for the first time, let's say. I do what I call a 30-second legal spiel, and that is to... Um, you know, lower the temperature and, and try to get some, try to get on the same page. And I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what that is real quick. The listeners, I think, would benefit from hearing this. It's, it's real quick. So we're sitting down in the living room or at the kitchen table or wherever for the first time. I'm usually in their home. Uh, they're very gracious, of course. And I have to do this legal spiel first. And then there's three points. The first point I make is I'm an independent financial advisor. I'm not tied to any particular financial institution. You know, I do have preferences and I can talk about what those are if and when we get to that stage. Number two, uh, I became a certified financial planner a long time ago. It's been over 20 years now. So uh, those are my qualifications. And I'm not what's called a fee-for-service advisor. That's a thing. There are advisors who put you on the clock. I'm not that guy. You don't get a bill from me whether we do business together or not. Mm -hmm. Okay? Because as I've mentioned before, our advisors get paid by the financial institutions. Right. And lastly, and very importantly... Everything we discuss in this meeting is confidential whether or not we do business together going forward. And that's a strict rule enforced by the province. So that's my 20-second... My well, confidentiality is a huge, a huge exactly. issue. Yeah. Of course. And, of course, that's why, you know, when we're sharing these emails, these uh, mailbag items, I'm trying my best to keep it anonymous. Um, I'm going to jump into one more here because I'm watching the clock. A really interesting call uh, from a gentleman who is the grandson of a lady who owned a cottage and the lady passed away, his grandmother, passed away in 1957 and nothing's been done with the cottage. And he doesn't know because get this, the lawyer lost all the paperwork. They don't know if it's been probated. They can't find her will. They don't well, know. somebody's been paying the taxes on it someone's and been, upkeep? Someone's been maintaining it and paying the taxes on it. It doesn't mean it's the rightful owner. And I don't have all the details in this particular um, case yet. It was actually it was actually a phone call, not an email. Um, but this gentleman, uh, he's like, well, what do I do? And if she died in 1957, it's entirely possible that her kids are gone right now. And I think that's why it was the grandson 
who reached out to me. Maybe. And so we've we've since brought in one of our estate planning lawyers that are on the team to um, dig a little deeper and find out what's going on. There there are um, archives, uh, will and probate archives, provincial archives. Uh, I'm not sure in 57 if it's old enough to hit the archives or not, but that's part of the uh, plan is to start with that. Because if we can find, because the probate process is a public process, and I'm going to talk about that um, again as well. But it's a really interesting situation. Um, who owns the cottage? There could be like three different estates we got to deal with to settle this. We, we might have to be Granny's estate, one of her child's estates, right. and now the grandchild's estate. Yeah. So really interesting stuff. Wow. That could get complicated. It, it, it will get complicated. The lawyer's already told me. It's Looks like a bowl of spaghetti. It's already complicated. And another story, uh, not really... A mailbag in the sense that it came in the mail, but a an accounting colleague of mine who's um, I've been working with over the years, you know, as as a financial advisor, a professional advisor for twenty years plus, you build these relationships with different accountants and different lawyers and different practitioners and things like that, and you get to know each other and and help each other. And so this accountant uh, referred me to one of her clients who wasn't too happy with her portfolio at CIBC, and so with permission, I had a review of this lady's portfolio. She's 84, and she has a couple GICs, and I think everybody knows how I feel about GICs. But what's interesting about this particular portfolio, the one GIC, uh, thankfully, is maturing in September of this year, so hopefully we can say goodbye to that. Uh, that was earning 5.2%. Oh, sorry, that was earning 1.6%, 1.6. And the other one, I noticed, was a redeemable GIC. And as soon as I saw that word redeemable, I knew that the rate of return was going to be terrible. So I found the rate of return. Do you want to guess, Ted, the rate of return on a redeemable GIC? Half a percent. Uh, <laughs> that's a good guess. You're wrong by half. 0.25%. Wow. What is the point? Tell me. Well, unless you're putting in $50 million, I mean, oh, you're going to see much back. Come on. I mean, even a Canada Savings Bond pays more than that. But yeah, zero. And again, um, thankfully, this one also matures in September, but it's redeemable, yeah. which is nice. So, oh dear. Uh, yeah, we can do better than that. Uh, that's easy, easy to say, 0.25%. You're probably going backwards uh, when you factor in inflation on, on that uh, lowest rate of return there. So... On the show before, I've mentioned a product called For Life, which is a great substitute to GICs, and the rate of return that it provides is a simple calculation based on your age and your gender. It's a it's a product offered by Industrial Alliance, and I was curious to see what the For Life uh, offering would be in this situation, so I plugged in her, her date of birth, and the guaranteed rate of return for this 84-year-old lady was 5.2%. 5.2 compared to 0.25. <laughs> it's it's absurd. And, yeah. and and it's not locked in like the GIC money was. Not the redeemable one. I get that. But the other one was. And it's not probated because you put a beneficiary on it. We don't want to deal with anything for our clients that doesn't have a beneficiary on it. That should be an ongoing theme. So uh, we're working on the plan. It's We haven't uh, finished things up yet, but we're working on it. And I think we're going to greatly improve uh, the situation for this lady. Excellent. In another um, update on a on a recent case, Ted, um, you know we don't we don't just transfer non registered money from the banks, although that's most of the most of the time that's where the transfers are coming from. Once in a while, it's a credit union, 
And I'm not sure we've talked about credit unions. Not really. We, we've touched on them briefly, but I mean, is, is there that much of a difference, or is there a difference? There is a difference, uh, but the difference is neither here nor there when it comes to doing the transfer so that we can add beneficiaries to the non-registered account. I don't, I don't know a lot of people who deal with credit unions in Toronto. I know they're much bigger out west, or much more popular, I should I say. I have an account at a credit union. Yeah? And, and a bank. Why? Why? Yeah. Because it's a uh, Ukrainian credit union. It's oh, a community credit it's a, union. Which who do, would do a lot of work it's in a, the it's community, a, and, and I support them. They support it's a the passion. Community. It's a passion thing. Yeah. Yeah, right, because they're all kind of themed, right? There's a Toronto Police Credit Union, I think. Well, they, yeah, yeah, uh, many are, many yeah. are, yeah. There's a little, many ethnic uh, um, communities have their own credit unions. Many churches have their own credit unions. And you're a member. You're not a client. And you're a member. That's right. You become a member, and, and you receive your... Uh, dividends as well. Well, um, like I said, I'm no credit union expert for those reasons. I'm not very familiar with them. But in any case, the transfer that was happening for this elderly couple so that we could put beneficiaries on the non-registered money, the transfer was coming from a credit union. That's fine. I sent the normal transfer document that I send to everybody. And sure enough, (laughs) as usual, it was rejected. And I get a call from this nice lady at the credit union to tell me it was rejected and that the clients need to come in and sign something. Okay, the clients are over the age of 90. So right away I said, come on, that's not very practical in this situation. And besides, you have a um, transfer form in your hand signed by the client. So whether it's my document or your document, what's the difference? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. It's a legit a transfer form that, you know, is recognized by every financial institution out mm-hmm. there. So this lady, of course, had to defer to management. And she said, you know, I'll move it up the food chain and somebody will call you. And they did, which was nice. Mm-hmm. Actually, I'll tell you what was nice. The fact that they called me in the first place to say it was rejected. Because most of the time, when the banks re- reject the uh, transfer form... They don't even let me know. They don't bother to tell the advisor. And so they're waiting patiently because you know they're busy and you don't want to bother them in three days because it takes like seven for some reason. And then you finally follow up with them. And they're like, oh, no, that got rejected. And I'm like, well, you know, I send my phone number along with the paperwork. You can call me. Well, because there are no rush tell to, me. to, have, to exactly. have you take money from them. So I was pleasantly surprised that this credit union took that time to actually call and say, no, we've got a problem with the paperwork here. And so, like I said, I waited for upper management to get back to me. They did. And believe it or not, I mean, it was so nice. It was such a nice change. When I talked to the other lady, the upper management lady, she said, yep, it's been processed. She didn't dig her heels in and say, we need them to come into the branch or we need our documents signed. Mm -hmm. She said, yep, it's been processed. I made a point of saying, oh, my goodness, what a breath of fresh air, you know, working with your credit union staff compared to, uh, you know, the actions yeah. and activity I get from other bigger financial institutions. So, you know, it's a blanket compliment to all credit unions. And I hope I hope that trend continues. And I hope it rubs off <laughs> on the credit union's competitors. We'll take a break. Come back with more. You are listening to the Avoid a Probate Show. I'm Ted Wallison with Jason Laidler, and this is Zuma Radio AM 740. Learn more about avoiding probate at avoidprobate.ca or call 1-844-667-7628. Back with more Avoid Probate after this. 
Good afternoon, friends. We are gathered here to remember. Insert your name. And we're heartbroken because. Insert your name. Did not avoid probate, so the loved ones of. Insert your name. Have to wait a long time for what rightfully is theirs. I see I've made you cry. Recent changes in law make probate slower, more complicated, and more expensive. Don't make it harder for your loved ones. Avoid probate.ca. This is Zuma Radio Toronto. CFZM FM and CFZM AM. Owned and operated by MZ Media Incorporated. This is Avoid Probate on Zuma Radio with Jason Laidler of avoidprobate.ca. Welcome back to the program. The program is the Avoid Probate Show, which is kind of a conflict because I said program, but it's a show. The Avoid Probate, pro, probate, is there probate Radio Program is what it is. I'm Ted Walsh, and he is Jason Leitler. He is the founder and president of Avoid Probate, and you can chat with him during the course of the week simply by calling a toll-free number, 1-844-667-667. 28. That's 1-844-667-7628. Or if you wish, you can forward an email anytime you wish. Info at avoidprobate. And avoidprobate is one word. Info at avoidprobate.ca. Info at avoidprobate.ca or call toll-free 1-844-667-7628. And uh, Jason will get back to you either via the phone, the email, here on the air, or he'll just show up at your house. You got to watch over. Yeah, that could happen you just too. Get one of these. That could happen. Who's that? Who's that Laidler guy? Ted, I, I just want to add a uh, comment about the phone number, the computer system that we have for that toll-free number. For some reason, it it tends to allow for a lot of rings, and so I encourage the listeners, please be patient if it's ringing and ringing and ringing. Uh, it yeah. will eventually either get picked up or go to voicemail. It doesn't just leave you hanging there. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying, and I, I've never called that number because well, yeah. I don't need to. Because you can, but talk but I know what you're saying. I mean, I've called numbers before and go like, "What's going on here? Yeah. Like, why isn't it going into voicemail?" It's like nine, twelve rings later, and somebody answers. You go, like, "Wow." Yeah, I, I don't want to. And then, meanwhile, if somebody's calling you at your home, you're running to get the phone. And by the time you get there, no, sorry, <laughs> only accept six and a half rings, and then it hangs up. Yeah. So be, be patient with the rings, please, listeners. Yeah. It will get answered. And but meanwhile, please do contact us. We we appreciate you doing that. And more Appreciate everybody's uh, input and uh, keep the mailbag uh, hopping there for us. And check out the website and check out the free probate calculator, www.avoidprobate.ca. Uh, good tool to uh, test your math and the probate you, you might have to pay on your estate. And that's it for us. Thank you to Kelly. Thank you all for uh, tuning in. And we will be with you next Sunday as well right here uh, on Zoom Radio. Yep. Thank you to Ted for uh, decades of radio excellence. And we'll see you next week. And thank you to Atomic Heating for cooling my house down. I'm heading there now. You've been listening to an exclusive podcast of Avoid Probate with Jason Laidler. Heard every Sunday at 8 a.m. on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.